Welcome to the Grad School Femtoring Podcast, the place for first-gen students of color to prepare for grad school. This is Dr. Yvette Martinez Fu, and I will be serving as your femtor, providing you with tips and tricks and everything else you need to know to get into and successfully navigate grad school. For over 10 years, I've been helping first-gen students of color get into top grad programs in their field, and I'm really excited to support you on your academic journey too. Welcome back everyone to the Grad School Femme Touring Podcast. This is Doctora Yvette and today I have another wonderful guest who's going to be talking to us all about contextualizing higher ed models and academia's hidden curriculum. Our guest today is Jamal Muwakil and he is a sociocultural linguist and educator. He's originally from Compton, California, and he's a proud product of California's public K through 16 education system. He also advocated for greater access and equity as the University of California student regent. He's someone to know y'all. <laughs> Jamal is currently a PhD candidate in the Department of Linguistics at the University of California, Santa Barbara. And uh, his dissertation investigates language socialization of Black students within an elite public higher education model. Welcome to the podcast, Jamal. Thank you so much. It's so great to be here with you today. I know it's been a while, hasn't it? <laughs> Too long, I think. Yes. Yeah. So for the folks that don't know you, I would love for you to get us started by telling us a little bit more about your background your backstory, anything you feel comfortable sharing about who you are and what led you to pursuing a PhD in linguistics. Absolutely. And uh, again, thank you for the opportunity to be here with you. For your listeners who don't know, we've uh, we've known each other for quite a while now. I know. Uh, to, <laughs> I can't believe it. it. I know. To give some context to that. Uh, and again, it's to speak to the merit of what you're doing right now, like you were my graduate school mentor as a Mellon undergraduate research fellow when we were both at UCLA. I still so remember you, your project. <laughs> it's so good. Yay. Uh, somebody does, <laughs> at least. Uh, so that's awesome. But yeah, I just say that to say that you've been doing this work for a very long time and you can add me along your long list of oh. success stories of people that you've mentored through the process. So thank, thank you, you for your investment. <laughs> uh, so a little about me, as you mentioned, I'm originally from Compton, California. I'm a first generation college student, but my path was a little non-traditional. Uh, I'm a community college transfer student. And I remember um, uh, going through high school and I went to a, uh, a magnet high school um, and uh, it was college preparatory. And I resulted in me applying as a matter of course to colleges and I got accepted to a couple. Uh, but I also knew that I, as a first generation college student, just really didn't have any of the logistical awareness about how you actually attend colleges. Some of the questions may sound silly at this point, but I really was thinking about the idea like such that I'm uh, accepted here. Like, what, what do I do? Like, yeah. do you, does the school pay for me to fly to where I need to go? Cause I don't have the money to, to get to, to DC or NorCal. Uh, do I, come now or do I come like later uh like when the first day of school is like how do you get your money like I, I don't have anything to give you um and I don't know anything about financial aid 
or anything like this. I just legit had no idea about how to get from where I was to where I was going. And so I reasoned if I was gonna stumble through the process, I may as well stumble through the process as close to home and for as little money as possible. And so I started attending Cerritos College here in uh, South LA, guessing my way through the process, um, just taking classes as we talk about it. Um, and I took a bunch of classes and ended up kind of bouncing around to a lot of different community colleges. I think I have transcripts from seven different colleges before I uh, transferred to UCLA. Um, and it took me 10 years. Uh, I was, uh, and all the while I was working jobs, you know, I worked at, uh, at Foot Locker in the Lakewood Mall, if you know, South, South LA. <laughs> I worked at, Dis at Disneyland uh, for a time. I worked for a call center. I worked for a credit union. Like, I hey, I worked at Hollywood Video and Subway. No shame. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm <Hollywood> aging myself. <laughs> video. Th those were the days. A black poster, Hollywood video. <laughs> I respect it. Absolutely. Oh, these kids nowadays don't know that. No, so <laughs> awesome stuff. But that's but part of that idea is that the idea of one of the luxuries uh, that aren't really afforded to a lot of first gen college students is being able to just go to school, right? Oftentimes we have to go to school and work to pay bills, right. figure out like, you know, car issues, pay tickets, my goodness, uh, you know, and just live this life while also juggling. And then you're guessing. So we don't know what to do or how to do it. Um, we're doing the best we can with what we know. And that usually just kind of manifests in a protracted amount of time before you figure it out. If you're lucky, you'll eventually make it through. But if you're in the majority, you know, any of these other issues will take you out. You know, you'll start to set down roots, get a promotion and a job that interferes with your, uh, your courses. There's more than a few classes that I just had to take an incomplete or an F in because the finals um, conflicted with my work schedule. I just couldn't take the time off because rent needed paying. So all I have to say, a uh, long protracted journey, um, but I eventually did be able to, uh, did make it through to UCLA. And that's where I met you, applied to be at a Melamaze undergraduate research fellow, was very fortunate to have been able to be accepted into that program, which allowed me to have access to graduate mentors who knew more about the process than I did and helped streamline it. And for me to get the most out of my time there. Um, at, the, at the time I was, uh, a linguistics major, uh, which is a you know a very rare major for folks, especially first generation folks, to take on. And you knew, because... so I'm so sorry to cut you off. Like going into no. UCLA, you you knew you wanted to major in linguistics. Yeah, one of the things oh. about community college transfers is that you have to apply directly into a major, so you can't right. apply un, uh, uh, undecided and then figure out what you want to major in later. You have to apply directly into the major. And uh, it's an interesting story. I, like most first-gen college students, kind of pick majors around jobs and around jobs that we're familiar with just in our day-to-day -day life or majors that sound like majors. Uh, so the idea here would be uh, a disproportionately large number of uh, first-generation students pick majors like psychology, which is what right. Uh, or sociology, English, mm -hmm. history, like the things that sound like majors or things that kind of map onto jobs that we're familiar with, police officer, lawyer, social worker, teacher, uh, these types of things. What you don't know is places like say UCLA have over a hundred uh, majors mm -hmm. um, and that the majors actually don't 
map onto any career one-to-one um, because that's not the purpose. And we'll get into more of that later. Um, but I chose psychology initially because it sounded like a major. And then I did a silly thing where I, I decided I didn't like the follow-up questions. What do you want to do with that? I don't know, I'm out here guessing. Uh, and so I chose a major that people that I had heard of and people stopped asking follow-up questions about, which was linguistics. They say, I'm a linguistics major. They're like, oh, that's, oh, that's interesting. You sound smart. Oh. And, and then that's it. No more follow-up questions. I'm like, yes, mission accomplished. What? Um, <laughs> they didn't ask, what do you do with that? <laughs> no, because they don't know. Uh, and I didn't, and I didn't know either. So we were all just Mm -hmm. just nodding our head and moving forward with our lives. Eventually I had the good fortune of taking some actual linguistics courses at one of the few community colleges, LACC, that offered linguistics and found out that I really do like it. It's really cool. And so uh, uh, majored in it, uh, applied for it and majored in it at UCLA. Uh, it was a under, it was um, not a highly competitive major, which really helped on the strategy of actually getting in. Um, and um, yeah, I really enjoyed my time there and I really enjoyed doing graduate work now in, in the field because I really get to explore the social implications, the consequences of language use, uh, you know, identity, um, politics, these types yes. of fun things. So, um, yeah, so that's the general trajectory. I, 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 I thought that I, I decided I wanted to be a professor primarily and it's kind of where I still am because of tenure right mm -hmm. um, as a, a person who's worked a lot of jobs i can really appreciate the idea of job security and a professor with the promise potentially of tenure says to me that if i do well i can have a job and a paycheck until i die and i like that uh, also i enjoy being able to have the academic freedom to explore questions that are interesting to me um, but also tenure um, so this is part of the reason why I chose this career path in academia, uh, love the freedom, uh, love the job security, and love to be able to kind of meet some of the best and the brightest, thinking about really cool ideas and things. That's um, very succinct. I appreciate hearing your full story uh, from, you know, the beginning up until where you are now at UCSB and recent uh, Ford Fellow. <laughs> I just want to, I just want to mention that. Congratulations! I think that's huge. I'm so happy and proud of you, and Thank also you. the fact that you are a non-traditional. You know, you have that non-traditional background, and I think that's something to be really proud of. To say, yeah, it took me ten years, and I'm here, and I'm doing it. Um, but you're here also to talk about higher ed models, and that's something mm -hmm. that you yourself study. And so I'm wondering. And I'm getting a little note, we've got transcriptions going on. So for my listeners, um, that's something that new that I'm adding to my podcast is I'm adding transcripts to all of my episodes. Uh, but anyway, I wanted to go back to the higher ed model conversation. Like what brought you to wanting to have this conversation about higher ed models? Why is it important for first-gen students of color to even understand what higher ed models are? You can just get us started with introducing it as a concept and and mm. why 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 should we know about this? Absolutely. Yeah, I think especially as uh, first generation college students, we approach and we envision college as just kind of one thing. So in a in a simple sense, we might say that college is just the thing you do after high school. Right. We may talk about it as as I often do. Uh, trying to get the piece of paper that says that I deserve to be paid a living wage. 
right? right. Like, like that's what college is and that's what college is for. Uh, what we don't quite ever really get is what are the differences between different colleges and universities mm. that we might attend? What are they good for? Um, who should go to which and for what reason, yes. right? So a part of this idea can be explored through understanding like what even are majors? Um, so in one sense, we think of majors as the pre-career, right? So this is where you practice and get training for uh, to be able to kind of do the job that you want to do, right? That, that, that's a workforce development model. Uh, and there are schools that do that. That's their job. We, we do workforce development. But then there are schools who uh, markedly do not do that and will fight you for the right to be able to not ever do that. Uh, the University of California is one of these places. Um, okay, tell us more about that. Because <laughs> right. I'm sure everybody so, listening is like, wait, wait, hold up, hold up. I'm majoring for a job. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, that's the idea. So if you're, so I'll break it up into the idea. And again, sorry for the folks that I'm going to be really California specific, but I think it's a great example of how these things work. The California Master Plan in the 1960s uh, broke up public higher education to three segments. This is the University of California, the California State University, and the California Community College System. They are all a part of public higher education in California. And then, of course, there are also like small liberal arts colleges and private schools, but public universities. Mm -hmm. uh, and they have different goals and missions. The goal of the University of California is to serve as the research arm. They are research universities. Every single one of the 10 campuses in the University of California are research universities and have a research mission. The California State University system are more or less teaching colleges mm -hmm. that do workforce development and things in that area. And the community college is there for uh, uh, lifelong learning, remedial education, and as a pathway to the other two segments through the transfer route. Uh, how does this matter for the student? Well, the first way that it matters is availability of different majors. You will find that very few University of California campuses have social work. Right. Major, right. Yes. Have teaching as it relates to like teacher preparation and uh, education. Education <laughs> as yeah. a major. They just don't have it as an undergrad major because that's not what they do. Those majors, stuff like marketing, not going to be on the UC rosters because those are jobs that need training and preparation in order to just kind of go from step one to step two in the career. Um, this is not a saying, I'm not high, I'm making a hierarchy here saying one is better than the other, they just have different goals. And so if I, as an, as a, an applicant, wanted to be a K-12 teacher, I might do myself a disservice to go to a UC because I would have to, in order to get my credential, do like a post-bac or a master's program in order to actually do that. I'll major in something, uh, but I'll have to do some addendum work to kind of flesh out my, my, my credentials, as opposed to going to say something like Cal State Dominguez Hills, where I can get a credential right out of undergrad. I'm um, so glad. I just want to mention something. I'm so glad you mentioned this because I, I noticed that, you know, among high schoolers or even early uh, college students, there's almost a sense of elitism or this, this prestige of like, I'm going to attend a UC as opposed to like, there are some really wonderful schools, especially you mentioned some of the Cal States, uh, even at the community college levels, you can get really great education, 
but mm -hmm. they don't realize that because of this idea of the prestige rather than thinking what is my end goal and which school aligns with my end goal so I just wanted to say that just right out out of the bat because I know I've encouraged students to go the Cal State route and they're like wait what and I'm like wait no but you want to do teaching or you want to do you know x like you're going to get really good training there <laughs> Yeah. Right. And it's about the idea of the training that has to align with the ambitions of the applicant, of the student, right? So everything is going to be relatively better in some area or another based on right. what it is that you want to do. So your first goal as a student is to kind of get a, as much of a sense as you can about where you want to go and what you want to do. And different schools will be a better fit uh, than others in that regard. So if you're looking to try to just kind of, I need to make money as soon as possible. I need to just go in here, get this certification, get this training, and then go and start working and making money because I have life obligations, family, just I, I don't have a, a big safety net. So I need to just hit the ground running. The Cal States can be a great, great option for that purpose. The UC is not without its merits, of course, right? Um, and I want to just touch in on one of the points that you just made. A lot of times we make our decisions around college choice, and there's a lot of research in the idea of school choice, um, but we make a lot of them around familiarity, right? So mm. there's a there was a school that I won't name that's good, a good school. They got a big boost in applications because they are a school that usually isn't in the uh, March Madness like 2016 basketball tournaments. Uh, but then they made it and they got pretty far. And so then they said like, saw like a 50% increase in applications because of that. So it's the visibility, it's right. all marketing, right? So you may know a school by name, not because it has an amazing English program, because their football team is really good. <laughs> and, 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 oh, you like the colors or the mascot sounds good. Like these are how we're making decisions. I'm laughing because I'm thinking of all the people who were like, UCLA has a terrible football team. I'm like, I'm not here to become a football player. <laughs> Right. I'm not trying to get drafted to the league through my association with UCLA uh, or yeah. So but it speaks to the idea of just meeting folks where they are. That's probably why you see certain schools in certain lights or the U.S. News and World Report ranking. Right. This one says it's a good school. It's better. It's ranked number one in the nation in public. So it must be better for me. Right. And if I got in, I should go. Right. So it's like I can understand I can make the best of a bad situation and go to my second, third choice. But if I got into UCLA, even though I'm looking to try to be a K-12 teacher or whatever, I love UCLA, go Bruins. But the idea is like if they disalign with my personal ambitions, I'll still go because it's a quote unquote better school. Right. This better school thing can be misleading. Yes. Um, and so. What is the UC good for? Well, the research, the, the UCs and UCLA and Berkeley and Irvine and Riverside, these are all research institutions. And if you were interested in developing some competencies in research methodologies and theories, you'll have access to the best and brightest. People are on the cutting edge of the research in that field. You have access to the professors who are published and winning the grants and asking the big questions. You have access to graduate students who are uh, pushing the disciplines and the ideas further. You get to sit down and have FaceTime with them and talk to them and explore what are your ideas and questions and how you can be involved as an undergraduate researcher. Uh, you get to do that. You can do that at other places, but this, this structure is set up for you to do that. There's money for you to do that. There's resources for you to do that. And you can use that engagement as a great stepping stone to be able to be accepted 
into graduate and PhD programs to explore that more fully. Um, I'll say just to kind of characterize this uh, a, a bit more, and, and we all know this, it's kind of gone through. Um, when you major in a thing, you might have the misunderstanding that you know anything about that thing. Um, there are levels to this. Mm -hmm. So if you are an undergrad linguistics major, you know some things, but you know nothing. Uh, <laughs> you know, no and that is why I went to grad school because I graduated yes. and I was like, what do I even know? <laughs> right. Because in grad school, you realize just how deep this thing can go, right? And, and you did get your introduction to whatever class and you learned some things, absolutely. That rabbit hole goes deep. So if that mm -hmm. sounds like fun for you and you really want to explore how deep this rabbit hole goes, grad school is a place to do that where you can actually kind of figure out in a very narrow sense uh, what it is that you're looking at. Uh, but if that's not interesting to you, then don't do it. Grad school can be a trap if, you, if you're not here for that type of investigation. Uh, but those are the differences. I'll highlight also, and it dovetails into a hidden curriculum paradigm. If you're at a research institution, the best thing you can do uh, is networking. Uh, it's in one sense, and I think it's true of us first-generation college students, we just think that we just need to keep our head down, do the work, and the work will speak for itself. Uh, I think that idea aligns itself with the myth of meritocracy. Uh, and what I mean by that is that uh, it is not true, contrary to popular belief, that uh, the best people get the position or get the opportunity, get the job in anything. Uh, it absolutely, being good and competent at your job is absolutely a prerequisite, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of people that are good at stuff. Yes. doesn't mean that that's the different, that, that they all get the job just because they're good at it, right? A lot of this has to do with relationships. Um, and you have to be invested proactively in developing and nurturing those relationships because these, in, in the grad school paradigm, these are your peers, fellow researchers. And as a shorthand, they'll say, well, I don't know this person. Who are they with? What is their network? Ah, I see you went to UCLA. That means you probably know my buddy this, that, this person or that person. And that means you probably know these theories or these methods. And that means you probably can do this work in this way. They're shorthands. Now they'll read yeah. your, your application, they'll read your thesis, they'll read your articles, absolutely. But they're placing you based on which network you're in. And if you have not developed and expanding your network, they don't know, they can't make sense of you. You're wholly illegible, independent of the quality of your work. So the best thing you can do, one of the best things you can do while you're in a college space, make friends, talk yes. to people, show up to office hours, talk to your, your TAs, and specifically let them know what your goals are. Where would you like to go? What would you like for your education to do for you? They have ideas and they will help you to do that but they can't address issues that they don't know exist. They're working with dozens, if not hundreds of students every quarter, they're trying to finish their other stuff, um, but they're willing to engage with you. They're actually being paid to engage with you. If you opt out by just kind of keeping your head down, staying to yourself and just doing your work, you're not gonna get the full benefit of the space right. you're in. 
Um, you know, this, this reminds me of a conversation I was having with someone. So sometimes I'll, um, folks will randomly reach out to me to, to meet me, to ask me questions about grad school, about anything related to, to that. And um, I had someone, and I think I'm going to talk about this in a separate podcast episode about like what to do if you're interested in going to grad school and you're like trying to debate between two different mm-hmm. career choices. Uh, but one of the things I was telling this person, because they weren't sure, like, should I go the counseling route? Should I go the social work route? I said, you need to start talking to people. You need to go mm-hmm. out, like go on LinkedIn. It's okay. Like, you know, if you've got some sort of connection, like then connect, click the connect button, send them a message, mm-hmm. ask for 15, 30 minutes of their time, find out what is a day in the life? How did they get to that career? Mm-hmm. What advice do they have for you? And you never know. And it's the same advice that I give to folks who already know where they want to apply for grad school and have a list of where they're going to apply. I'm like, okay, go contact the grad students, contact recent alumni, contact professors. They're all going to give you different advice, different perspectives, and ultimately see like what's going to get you to that end goal in sight. So you always have to have that long-term goal in sight, your career, your lifestyle, you know, what is it that, what kind of life are you trying to pursue and yeah. which track or which route, which journey is going to get you there. So, but it, what, like, what's really important is those connections. I wish I had known this because as an undergrad, I was very shy and introverted and kept to myself didn't want to bother anybody but now now that I'm on the other side of things and I'm the one connecting I'm the one that people are trying to reach out to as well I'm realizing the strength in the network in the community building whatever you want to call it and just like connecting with folks it's so important and the people that I know that are successfully navigating their career whether that's inside or outside academia that's how they do it is with the connections with referrals with people who Mm -hmm. like oh I I heard this statistic and I wish that I knew where it was from but someone said that over 70 percent of job ads are not publicly listed online Mm -hmm. and so you don't find out about the majority of the jobs out there unless you actually know someone so anyway absolutely Absolutely. (laughs) I want to ask you too, I know this is a conversation is about higher ed models and you also kind of covered a little bit about the hidden curriculum too, all the things that we don't know. Like I could relate to you, you, when you said going to college, you you were like, how do I even get there? Who pays for me? I had the same, I had a lot of anxiety actually going to college. Mm -hmm. So I was like, what, how do I do the basic things like transportation, all those things stress me out so I'm wondering like what kind of advice would you give to someone who's you know has like a a parallel path where maybe it's taking them a little longer to finish their undergraduate degree and they might be struggling right now and they're trying to navigate college or they're you know trying to navigate I don't know the first year of their grad program uh and (laughs) you know the, the hidden curriculum continues to be an issue of like just feeling like they don't know enough. Yeah, I think that that's gonna be a perpetual issue, right? Yeah. That you'll never get the full picture. Um, and you're going to be kind of making your best guesses as you go along. But there are some strategies you can take to try to make sure that you have the broadest number of options to choose from. So that you can make a choice in the light of day as opposed right. to being relegated to a decision based on your limited information. 
And so one of those things, as we've mentioned before, is talk to people. Uh, mm -hmm. Let them know, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, help me. And you'd be, I hope, pleasantly surprised about how many people are interested in helping. I'm curious about the how, the whole, like, how do you actually connect with people? The only reason I'm asking yeah. you in particular is because yes. I know you. You are so well connected. Everybody and their mama knows you. <laughs> if I just say, I have a couple of friends like this where I'm like, wow. if I just say their name out loud, someone is going to know <laughs> I think more sure. people knew you at UCLA than they knew me, and I was there for 10 years. <laughs> That's very kind of you to say. Um, I, so I'm like, I think so that, how, for an introvert like me, yes, like, exactly. how do you connect with people and maintain absolutely. those relationships? <laughs> Yo, you're absolutely right. I have a few strategies that I'll kind of lay out that, that have worked for me. Uh, so one of them is kind of take people at their word. So we do this as educators all the time. We, we do conference talks or guest lectures and things and we put our email on our slideshow on the board and we say if you have any questions or like to just connect with me or uh, or anything like this please do reach out to me and I've done this dozens of times at this point and I think I'm at I'm at I'm at about a like one percent return rate right like very few people follow up wow. um, very very few people follow up and if you're one of those people who do follow up, I remember you. And I will give you the world uh, <laughs> if you follow up. But very few people do. And there's situations where I'm in a, I'm in a space and I'm giving a talk or I'm visiting a workshop where the, the demographic that's represented is exactly the demographic that I want to be impacting. Mm -hmm. And I want to be able to help and, and show you the things that I didn't know to streamline your process. And I'm basically begging you, please, please reach out. And most of them will not. The overwhelming majority just will not. And this could be because of a sense of imposter syndrome. It could be for a sense of, I don't want to burden you. I know mm -hmm. you're busy and things like that. I'll just be kind. My encouragement is don't, don't be kind in that way. Uh, I cannot force my whatever connections, relationships, advice, you know, opportunities on you. I need you to show me something. And you showing me something looks like just engaging with me on a first level feedback. So if I say, please email me, please email me. If I say, <laughs> I'm gonna be here for office hours, please visit me, come. You'll, you'll likely be the only one. I'll say just in a, even in our experience, uh, 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 we, while you were the graduate mentor in Mellon, um, it was just me and you. I know. Okay. <laughs> and and Having you know tea how much you, just me exactly, reviewing your thesis. Exactly. <laughs> and and I know you and then the, the front office staff person begging students at all these things. They were like, I'm interested in research and I really want to learn more about the process and I want to go to grad school. And we're like, that's great. You know, our whole department does exactly that. Just come on down and we'd love to help you. We'll walk you through. We'll help you with your apps, revise your, 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 your statements. It's all good. Just come on down. No one comes down. Now, I heard that message and I went the same day and I was there and it was a nice quiet place to do my writing because mm -hmm. no one else was coming through. Uh, and so I'm, I hear the, the, the pushback and saying, it's really hard because we don't know how. And I get that. I'm right there with you. Do anything. And, you, and, and, and there's people on the other side who are invested in you and they'll make up the difference. 
but you gotta take a step. If you take a step, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised about how far it'll take you. Um, and so that's the strategy that I've taken. I take people at their word. They said, shoot me an email, I'd love to talk to you. I'm shooting that email today. Um, and I'm gonna that. set up a meeting. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna connect with you. And I've done that with everybody. Every class that I took at UCLA, I went to every student's, every grad student's uh, office hours and sections. I went to every professor's office hours and sections. I asked about stuff that I had, I could not know, I did not know, and they needed to help me. I told people in the first, and you know how the schedule for Mellon worked, where you had to apply for Mellon your first semester, your first quarter. Yeah. Uh, so I got, as a transfer I became, student, yeah. As a transfer yeah. student. So I, I, November was the deadline and I got there late September. So I got like a month and a half to find a faculty mentor. And I was begging everybody. I talked to all of the, all the classes I was enrolled in. I was like, hey, would you be willing to advise me? They were like, I don't know. And I was like, okay, cool. So you won't do it. Can you recommend someone else who might be interested? And they'll give me a name and then I'll reach out to that person. I'll meet with them. Hey, this is what I'm thinking about doing. Would you be willing to advise me? I, it took six people, six handoffs. I had a similar experience, by the way. Yes, right. <laughs> it took multiple but if people. I just, and if I just took the first no, then I just, I wouldn't have had the opportunity. There was a yes in there, but I had yeah. to keep pressing. I do think it's unfair and unreal, unreasonable that we're put in that type of situation mm -hmm. where we have to be unreasonably diligent in order to kind of gain access to these taken for granted resources. But we, we live in a world that we currently live in. We're all working to try to make that better. But until that's better, we're going to have to do unreasonable things to get what we want. And that's the step. Uh, press, ask, take people at their word, respond to emails, follow up, show up in person. You'll be surprised at how few people actually do that. And you will stand out in their minds. And this is part of the reason why that. people know me, because you like, it's you. You said, I said, show up and you showed up. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's what you said. Um, so that's been a, a very useful strategy. And it's carried me all the way through the, to the border regions, right? With I whom I still it. have uh, great relationships because I, I show up. Um, like I, today. I, I reach out, <laughs> like today. I follow up. Um, and, you know, and it doesn't take much time and whatnot, but people remember it. Mm-hmm. Speaking of time, I know we're getting close to time. And so I just want to wrap up the second to last question. The last question is just how can others reach you? So second to last question is any final words, closing thoughts on the topic of educational models, hidden curriculum, mm -hmm. speaking up, following up? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, uh, I'll say that. Uh, the part of the, the, the benefit of kind of understanding different higher ed models uh, works also in the, the graduate school application process and in the junior faculty application process, uh, specifically because it speaks to how you'll be evaluated. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you're at a teaching college, then your teaching and your pedagogy and the, the student evaluations are going to carry a lot of weight in whether or not you get tenure or whether or not you're doing a good job. In a research university model that will carry a lot less to no weight at all. So if you're like, I really want to be an impactful, diligent, and transformative educator of the youth of tomorrow. Uh, and so I'll go to this research university where they don't care about teaching at all. It may be disaligned. Mm, yeah. uh, doesn't mean that you can't be impactful and transformative as an educator, but you won't necessarily get as much credit for it. 
um, for all of the time that you spend in, in preparation um, and engagement. It's just gonna be, oh, okay, you taught your class, great, but where is those publications? Um, or if you're interested in the research aspect of it, you're saying, you know, I really just wanna explore the questions that I think are interesting, I wanna kind of engage in, uh, in the conversation of scholars who are interested in this topic or this issue or this model. Uh, and yes, I'm fine teaching, but that's just not my favorite thing. Then maybe the, 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 the R1 research institutional model is a better fit for you. Uh, I'm engaging this question in this way because I think that so many folks get disenchanted because they're just disaligned with the yes. model and, and their ambition. Like they, they're trying to do something in a place that doesn't value it. Mm -hmm. um, and then that can cause you to spin your wheels and potentially burn out. Um, and if you kind of know on the front end, ah, this is what this institution values. Uh, let me align with what it values so that I'm kind of swimming up, up I'm, I'm swimming with the current as opposed mm -hmm. to against it, then it can lead to less stress as you kind of press through this already fraught process. Um, so there's that idea about just kind of going and attending a school that's aligned with your ambitions and then applying to work at a school that values what you want to contribute and how you want to live your day. Uh, those things I think can help for folks to kind of live the life that they want to live uh, wherever it is that they are. That's wonderful. That's really, <laughs> I couldn't have said that better. <laughs> so for folks who listen to the episode and connected with what you said, want to follow up themselves, is there a way for them to reach you or what's the best way for them to contact you? Absolutely. Yeah. So I have a Twitter. Um, nice. Twitter is a, a mess right now. I hate Twitter. Uh, but I have it Why for this reason. <laughs> I have it for this reason in particular. Yeah. So my Twitter handle is uh, at words by Jamal, where Jamal is spelled J-A-M-A-A-L, words by Jamal. And you can find my website at wordsbyjamal.com. Uh, you can send me an email and I would love to chat with you if you're interested in anything that I've discussed or graduate school or any of these types of things. Uh, uh, I'm always willing to kind of chat with folks. That's great. I will be adding that to my show notes. Well, that was a really great conversation. Oh my goodness. It's so nice to reconnect, to stay in touch. <laughs> now I know why we, we, I feel like the folks that I know tend to be introverts because I mean, extroverts because I'm the introvert. So I'm like, now I know Jamal's strategies. <laughs> well, I'll say also just to kind of key into that, I, I too self-identify as an introvert. I, I just, I just I play an extrovert on TV. Yeah, no, I, this is a learned skill. Oh, <laughs> um, thank you for saying I, that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, this does not come naturally. I had to figure this out. And I, it's all intentional, like proactive effort to do this. Uh, but I think that it, it's worthwhile. It, it does kind of pay off. It really is. I mean, I've been doing more of that recently um and this was all post phd I, again i wish i had known this like you did <laughs> earlier on um it's such a great skill to have so i i'm glad that you mentioned that I, I i didn't realize that you were introverted so it gives the rest of us hope <laughs> absolutely 
Thank you so much for coming on the show, Jamal. I think I I giggled one too many times. That's how you know oh, that no. I know you. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's just just really nice to to stay in touch, to hear your your words of wisdom, knowledge, experience, and everything else that I'm sure a lot of folks are gonna connect with. So thank you. Yeah, I hope it's useful. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's been great to be here and I'm looking forward to chatting with you in the future. Great, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me in the Grad School Femme Drawing Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or email me your review at gradschoolfemtouring at gmail.com. You can also show your support by going to gradschoolfemtouring.com and joining my mailing list where you'll receive weekly tips, podcasts and blog updates, as well as discounts for my digital downloads, online courses, and much more. One last thing. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Until next time.